tell the church that you've dreamed of and thought of and tried to figure out for, for, I mean, it's like worked for years on. Like, what do you tell them the first time? And I felt like the Lord gave me like a pressure is off like deal. And genuinely, I'm going to preach out of Judges today, <laughs> which, but, which I think a lot of people are just like, man, when you like pray to church, like give them the gospel. <laughs> like we're going to do an altar call, get the cloths out. We want people knocked out. Just kidding. We do snakes and everything here. My mom's in the front row from Michigan going, gosh, he has the microphone. Um, so, but, but genuinely, I felt like the Lord kind of gave me a pressures off moment. And, and really what I felt like it was around was, was kind of the core tenet of what it means to truly seek him. Above all things, above anything else, and, and really what that looks like within, I would say this, the anonymousness that we feel as humans. Because whether you know it or not, right, we're, we're a couple of uh, seven billion. And I feel like that, that almost like traps us to like, God, am I just somebody who's just sucking air and just living my years and it's over. Amen. Thank you, mom. It's my mom in the front row. Her phone's going off. Okay, Bob, I love you. Shouldn't even be on your phone. Uh, <laughs> who can say that to their mom? I don't know. Okay. Anything else? <laughs> but more than anything, what I felt like the statement that sums up today is how fixate is about restoring the gaze of what brings peace to our souls, not peace to our circumstances. Not peace to just the, the tangible world peace that, the, that this almost culture and world tries to give us. But God is so much above that. So what I want to talk about today, I'm titling it Mortgages and Minivans. Hashtag Judges. I don't even know if we do hashtags anymore, but it's fine. Uh, I'm gonna, I tell stories too, I believe in the, in the parable stuff, so, so bear with me, I'm only going to go 55 minutes. Um, some people are like, God, get me out of here now. When I was in high school, uh, I was a mischievous kid, and I, I'm 30 now, I turned 31 in uh, like two months, and I can't wait to say I'm 31, because when you're 30, you're still like 26, but when you're 31, you're like, dang, you're in your 30s now. Some of us know that, right? Uh, or when you're in your 20s, everybody's just like, oh, gosh, you're in your 20s. Even if you're 29, people still look at you like you're 21. Um, at least that was for me. I don't know. Maybe because how I am. Um, but I remember I was in school, and I was at, at school. I always I had teachers that either loved me or hated me. Anybody relate with that? Uh, Abe, just kidding. <laughs> You've been loved by every teacher probably your entire life. Um, I remember I was at school, and as I was there, I, was, uh, I had one teacher that did not like me. And it was one of those things where it wasn't that she didn't like me. It was just she gave me an assigned seat, made me stay after class, just made me do a lot of chores in the class. So I feel like she didn't like me, but she said she did like me, so I feel like she was lying. Um, and so one day, me and my buddies, we devised a plan. And the plan was we were going to take a clump of bananas and just put them in a cabinet somewhere. You guys, you'll get where I'm going with this in a second. But it was, this teacher was kind of rough on us. But we were like, you know what? We're just going to put a couple bananas in there and we'll check it every day. And we're going to see if they rot in her cabinet, right? Which 
Once again, do not do this. This is terrible. I, once again, first sermon, we're just going to go for the most spiritual thing out there. And I remember after a few weeks, we just didn't even think about it anymore. We forgot to check on them. We forgot to pull them out. But we know we left a, a, a big clump of bananas in the cabinet. I remember over the course of about a month, her classroom started to really not smell good. And, not, and we didn't even think to ourselves like, oh, we left the bananas in the cabinet and they're rotting in there in her classroom. So after a month and then after a few weeks and finally one day after class, she pulls me aside and she goes, Micah, did you put bananas in my cabinet? And I was like, yeah, yes, I did. And she's like, well, they, they rotted and molded so, so bad that it's reeking throughout the day. Why did you do that? And immediately I didn't really know how to defend myself. But I was like, I was like genuinely trying to tell her like it was only going to be for a few weeks. But me and the buddies just decided like you loved us so much that we wanted to show you love back is a lie, <laughs> and ultimately I got a detention. Uh, my mom didn't know about that detention because I served it at lunchtime. Anybody have those parents that, man, they find out you do anything, you ain't got no weekends for the rest of your life. But genuinely, I remember that story, and what I was thinking about, the reason I tell that story is because I think a lot of us, what we don't realize is we have aspirations and things in our life and and stuff that, that's, that's tucked away that isn't of God. And what I mean by that is I think that genuinely when we, when we process the goals of our life, the, the functionality of who we want to become, what we're following, what we're pursuing, what we're creating time for, what we're gazing upon, I think in all honesty, none of us wake up and go, man, I don't want to gaze upon anything good, God, I want to live a terrible existence. But I do believe that we have habits, we have behaviors, and we have things we perpetually are gazing upon that are like the cabinets with the bananas. That are, that are creating something within us that, that isn't what we want. And today is about a story in Judges, and, and I felt so kind of strongly about it. And it's a story that probably you've never heard taught on. No, it's not Gideon. And it's a story about somebody who was super ordinary who wasn't anything super special, and in all honesty, had, was one of those people who had some bananas in the cabinet and her life kind of was not the best, but ultimately she did something that was way outside of her character, but it, but it was something that defined her life. And I want to encourage you today, I think a lot of the times we think so um, tangibly and rationally about how, what, how and what will define our lives rather than the moment-by-moment -moment obedience that then shapes the God-fearing person we're called to become. And so what I want to do is I want to read really quickly. Uh, I want to read really quickly, like I said, in Judges. And we're going to read in Judges chapter um, 4. But in this, I in all honesty, Judges is my favorite book, not because of the people, but because of the stories. If you know anything about it, it's just wild. There's like stories of a guy murdering an enemy king and then sliding out through the toilet and running, raising up an army and then just taking over. Like, turn that into a movie somewhere, please, soon. Uh, but I remember I was reading this passage and it was a passage that, like I said, I feel like there was an awareness in this room of some of us maybe had never heard it, but it could pertain to us. And so I'm going to read and then we're going to add a little bit of... Um, well, first, I'll add a little context. In Judges chapter 4, it says that there's a general by the name of Caesarea. And Caesarea has been, has been persecuting people for 80 years. And it says that he's actually not just persecuted, but he's built iron chariots. Now, for some of us who don't know this, there's 
in that day and in that time, uh, iron chariots was like, uh, that wasn't just like today we have iron. Like that was a absolutely groundbreaking weapon. And if you see, they're actually being persecuted to such a place that they don't have any weapons. They don't have any anything. And so these iron chariots are just ripping through them. And so what happens is, is, is Deborah and Barak step up. Now, many of us maybe know this part of the story. Deborah and Barak step up, and this, this judge named Deborah, who's, who's a, this awesome woman of God, steps up, leads the army, routes this oppressive general, but the general gets away. And the general gets away, and as he gets away, what you see in Scripture is that this general was the single uh, most, like, just vile, terrible dude to the, to the children of Israel. And so he got away, and they're searching for him, and that's where we pick up the story. And here's the deal. It gets a little graphic, but I promise I'm going somewhere with it, and, it, you know, we'll be okay. Judges 4, 17 to 22, it says this. Now, Caesarea fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the, Ke- the Canaanite. There was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Canaanite. Now, listen here. This is what you need to know is that Jael, what we find out first, is she has peace with the oppressor. Okay, I I pause there for a second because I I want us to understand the gravity of this moment. People are being oppressed for 80 years, murdered, ravaged, stolen from, but her house has peace. And and I I feel like for some of us, I I really, this is how I read the Bible, is we're going to read, stop, read, stop. For some of us, right, We're going through oppression, but we have peace with it. And and I really want to create clarity on this because I think a lot of the times we look at all the, the things that are going wrong, wondering why they're going wrong, instead of looking at ourselves and saying, man, do I have peace with the things that are going wrong, and am I okay with it? Because if I, if I have peace and I'm okay with it, it's probably never going to change. So in this instance, this woman, Jael, is actually somebody who like doesn't really have any part of the fight. She's somebody who, in all honesty, like, her house has peace. She's fine. So we start to see, look at the relationship that they have. It says this, verse 18, Jael went out to meet Caesarea and said to him, turn aside, my master, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. And he turned aside to her to the tent, and she covered him with a rug. He said to, me, to, to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened up a bottle of milk and gave him a drink. Then she covered him. And he said to her, stand in the doorway of the tent, and it shall be if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, is there anyone there, you shall say no. So not only does she have peace, she literally is like, you need a king-sized bed. Like, I'll get you one of our nicest rugs. Like, he asks for water, she gives him milk. That's not my go-to, but maybe back then it was. Like, if I'm sweating, I'm not going to the cupboard and like, man, let me get some skim, Right? Right, let's, let's, let's be real, right? I'm like, I like read that, and I'm like, man, that's just a little weird, but it's cool, God. Um, so she said, he lays down, and literally she's like, let me get you in the bed. Let me get you some milk. Let me stand at the door and tell you if it, and tell everybody nobody's coming. Like, this is, Ciceri's probably like, hey, I kind of like this. I may have just lost the battle, but I ain't losing the war, amen. <laughs> so he lays down. Now, watch this just flip. But Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg. Okay. I mean, think about this, right? We're about to get, we went from, let me make you a rug, let me get you some milk, let me watch the door, to let me grab a tent peg and a hammer. And it says this. 
took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went through him into the ground, for he was sound asleep, exhausted, so he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Caesarea, Jael came out to meet him and said, Come, and I will show you the man who you're seeking. And he entered with her. And behold, Caesarea was lying dead with a tent peg in his temple. Think about this, and this is the, the crux of this story. Jael did not really need to do anything because her life was peaceful and comfortable. She didn't have to do that. But I'm going to tell you this, for some of us, right? We've settled for peace and we've settled for comfortable and we have never known true freedom. We've settled for the fluffiness of, of following God on Sunday mornings and not really walking with him. See, fixate, the reason we love the word is it's gazing at with unwavering attention and focus. It's not I look at you on Sunday and I turn away on Monday. It's not this place where we stand and say, all right, God, I'm comfortable and it's easy and my circumstances are lining up. It's God, I want true freedom. Because that's the thing about Jael she may have been comfortable, she may have been protected, she may have even been wealthy and affluent based off of what we see in this story, but she wasn't free. And as sad as it is to say, I believe that a lot of us, we follow God, we follow God for comfort, and we follow God for when the times are tough, but God is not okay and satisfied with just you being comfortable. He's going to push the envelope until you know freedom. And I think that this story, when I was reading it, I was thinking, God, why is it that this, I am so struck with judges and not Deborah, not Barak, but Jael. A woman who is never mentioned again in scripture. She's never even mentioned before this. And I felt like it was the innocence for us today. It was the innocence of Jael was ordinary was just, and what you see is she's just a housewife. She's somebody who serves, she's somebody who's loved, but she's not anything crazy. And I think for a lot of us, we've thought, and maybe you're sitting here right now, and you're saying, well, you're, you're a pastor, so you have to live that. Or you're a church planner, so you have to live that. Or you just, you just love it, so obviously it's easy for you. But I love the stories in scripture that take the ordinary and they take the mundane, and they take the people who really, they're not supposed to super stand out, but when they're obedient, and when they do something with faith, they're remembered forever. And I think that's what I love about this story, and, and more than that, I just want to give us a couple things, because in this day and age, Jael's story is, am I, sacri am I willing to sacrifice the minivan and the mortgage? for his plans and his promise. Because here's the deal, comfortable, protected, at peace, but not free. And I think a lot of us, like I said, we've structured our lives around comfortable, peaceful, it's all going good. But man, if we took the moment to ask ourselves, God, do I feel free? Do I feel free of everything in this world and connected to you? See, that's what fixate is, being fixated with God, is I'm focused on you so much that it's not that I have to be itinerant, it's that you have every moment of my life. You have every choice. 
You have every decision. You have every step. You have everything. See, true freedom is when you're actually not connected to the world. You're connected to the one who created you. And I pray today that we don't look at this world and say, God, I want the freedom of you with the connection of it. Because if that's where you are, there's going to be a moment where God's going to confront you and say, will you pick up a tent peg? And I am. And trust that if you step out in faith and sacrifice, I'll meet you on the other side. So here's the deal. I want to read, like I said, how to go from minivans and mortgages to his plans and his promise. Because I think genuinely if we were to sit here and evaluate the filtration system of our decision making, which none of us talk about, but we all live, right? What's my career? What am I going to do? Where? Once again, we, we filter it through the, the, what needs to be produced, what needs to happen, rather than God, is this your plan and your purpose for me? And so what I want to do, right, how to go from minivans and mortgages to his plans and his promise. And the first one, you don't need to be somebody to be somebody. What's hilarious, you guys better laugh at this because it was really funny to me in the office this week. Jael's name in Hebrew means wild mountain goat. Now, some of us maybe have difficult relationships with our parents, but none of us are named wild mountain goat. And what I mean by that is in the Hebrew world is genuinely the Hebrew world, there's, there's, there's pictures attached to the words. And so what's funny is, like, literally, she's the girl that walks around and they're like, Dave, that's the one whose parents actually named her Wild Mountain Goat. <laughs> like, in her town, that's Wild Mountain Goat girl, which I don't know what it means. I don't know what went on. I don't know why her parents were that mad that day when she was born. But I think a lot of the times what we measure, our filtration system, is I want to be somebody, so I'm going to model the people who are somebody and hope I become someone. And God looks, and that's not how God's works. I love stories in scripture like Jael because it's essentially somebody who's nobody who becomes somebody through obedience, through faith, and through sacrifice. See, a lot of us, we read this story and we're like, man, Jael must have come from something. Yeah, she came from being a wild mountain goat. determines a somebody in scripture, all it is, is the level of faith and obedience that is practiced and is lived. That's it. Second thing, if you've never had a tent peg moment, you might be living in bondage, sorry for the lie, and not even know it. And what I mean is, I think that genuinely, if we were to assess our lives, have we fought for the authority of God? over everything. And what I mean by that is I think that when, when we talk about lordship today, it's like, man, we can sing the songs, which our worship team was saucing it. Right? We can sing the songs about the lordship. But man, when we really evaluate our lives, see, lordship in scripture was not like this. We can even trace lordship in the term of it through the medieval times. It wasn't like, oh, you're the Lord. It was, it was a bloody fight. And I think spiritually what we don't realize is that when God confronts and is when we profess lordship, God confronts the other things that have lordship. And this is what's sad to me is that when I see people come to Christ and have an incredible encounter with him, 
and know that he's real and know that he, he, he's talking to them and speaking to them, but then fall away because God starts to confront idols and he starts to confront the things that you've placed above him. And it's sad to me because it's like we, we want lordship without any of the sacrifice or the trading in of this is no longer my idol and I'll burn it on your altar. And I want to encourage you today. See, a lot of us, right, we follow Christ. But if we were to look and say, God, if I had a moment where I've evaluated the tent of my heart and said, this shouldn't be in here. And I've given it a rug and I've given it milk and I'm checking and waiting at the door to make sure that it doesn't leave. But it shouldn't be in here because maybe it's bringing comfort, but it's not bringing freedom. And see, a lot of us, we've fought to keep things in the tent that God's fighting to get out. And I want to say this to you right now. We, as a church, want to be a place where we're constantly aware of what we've allowed in the tent. And we're even more aware of what we hold in our hands, which is the ability to remove the things that need removed. And I pray today that you come to this church, and if I never see you again, that you leave with the truth that you are in charge of your tent. You are in charge of what's inside of it. You are in charge with what you lay the rug out, get the milk for, and hold the door for. You are. And following God, this is, man, this is a deep parable, but it's fun. Is not, I'm a, let's repaint this picture. Following God isn't so much a, yes, God, you're good. It's God opening your eyes, handing you the tent peg and handing you the hammer, saying you've got some work to do. Because this is comfortable, but you, it's not making you free. And this is, this is roomy, but this isn't who you're created to be. If you had never had a tent peg moment, you might be living in bondage and not even know it. And the last thing. Being a follower of Christ is not faith, action, and obedience. It's these over and over and over again. And I want to say this. Um, I think we've so missed as followers of Christ the joy of what surrender and submission is. And I can say this from a place of knowing it. I mean, when me and my wife struggled to make the decision to come here, struggle. All it was was, God, how are we going to survive? Where are we going to live? What even, where is our church even going to be? What does this even look like? We have no idea. But you know what's funny is, is I think with faith, and, and I've said this quite often, we went from a place of all certainty and no peace to a place of all peace but no certainty. And there's a wild paradox within that. That, man, sometimes all we have sought is certainty, but we have zero peace in it. And I pray today that you're somebody who maybe you're evaluating the tent. And you're saying, man, I like the, I like the functionality of being able to roll out the rug, get out the milk, and step in the tent. But if I don't have peace here, is it worth it? here, if I'm not who I'm supposed to be, if I don't know freedom, 
reconciled. My closing thought is this. A few years ago, I was in Chicago, and uh, I was working with a ministry, a bunch of my buddies were out on this movie ride playing some kind of circuit riders. I was in Chicago. It was super late at night, and I was uh, carting a bunch of buddies around. I had a uh, old Honda Passport, and, uh, you know, it's a five-seater, but we've all had those moments where we put about 13 in there, right? And I remember we'd been going to events and doing all this stuff, and I finally, like, kind of get done, and I live about an hour and a half from Chicago. It's probably 2 a.m., and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to burn it home. So I fill up my gas tank. And as I fill up my gas tank, I get going on the road. About three miles away from the gas station, my gas light starts coming on. And I'm like, well, I just, and this was when gas wasn't your firstborn. (laughs) It was like, I was like, dang, I just filled up. But like, when you're like, I was probably 23, 24. I was like, man, like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like hitting the thing while I'm driving. So I just keep going. Then my car starts to sputter a little. And I'm like, yo, I just got gas. What's going on? I mean, full tank, too. Like, that's like 16 little Caesar $5. Yo, I genuinely, I'm going to have to say this. Just, this is rabbit trail. But, but anybody remember when you were young and you quantified things by what fast food you could buy? You're like, man, this is like four crunchy tacos. You're like, you're like, dang, like, man, this is six Little Caesars pizzas. Like, this is a, this is two four for fours. Like, 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 you just look at your friends. You're like, man, this is like a full 44 ounce at the gas station. It's like, you got, anyway, luckily I've moved out of that. So I pull over because my gas light's blinking and stuff's going wrong. And I don't know. And I look under and my gas tank is on the ground being drugged back by my back wheels and it's being held by one rusty strap and I looked and what had happened was is it had ru- the frame had rusted out around my gas tank luckily I'm alive because how many of you guys know like if you drag a full gas can that's metal and it sparks so what happens I call AAA sit on the side of the road for six hours get home have to get new straps saying is I I think a lot of us if you were to assess the tent right now it feels full there's something there's something on the dash going on and the things in the tent that we haven't paid attention to that sometimes are unseen like the bottom of the car maybe over the years have been rusting and corroding as we've pursued the comfort and the superficialism of this world instead of the freedom of Christ. And I want to say this to you is that I pray that we never end up in life spiritually where the gas tank has fallen out and we've rusted through and we're wondering what's going on as now our life has crumbled to a place that it needs to happen. If you ever find yourself in that place, God's with you. Ready to fix. Ready to help. Ready to love. Amen. See, I fixate. I couldn't. 
Jesus de Estéreo, que era amigo do Samuel Ramírez, né? Lá em Estéreo. E o cara me olha e diz assim, cara, você quer I'm just going to read this prayer over us. We're not going to go too much longer, I promise. Can we all close our eyes really quick as well? When you come here, I'm just going to be somebody who, uh, we're going to do guided prayers where I just write things that I feel like are the sermon encapsulated, spoken over your life. So if you're comfortable, if you're not, it's fine. But if you're comfortable, if you would open your hands to receive this prayer, and I'm just going to read it over you. God, today we align with the promises and plans you have for us. Would you highlight areas of awareness in which we have something in the tent of our lives that needs removed? Would you help us to see your goodness and your grace in the pain of discipline and disappointment we sometimes feel? It is your presence that we seek. And we will remove anything in our lives that have wired us away from the functioning of following you. Jesus, would you take us in a new direction, down a new path. One in which the existence of superficial and comfort is not our aim and our goal, but that we would choose to seek first the kingdom and pursue righteousness and trust. God, I pray today for the people who are in this room that are saying, Father, I want to be somebody and are following whatever culture says become somebody looks like Jesus. I pray that obedience, faithfulness, and steadfastness is what the somebodies of the Bible are remembered for. God, I pray right now for those who maybe have never had a moment where they fought for true freedom, that they would take inventory of their lives and be willing to grab the tent peg and the hammer and say, God, no longer is it allowed in the tent, no longer is it allowed in the comfort, no longer is it allowed in the bondage, no longer is it allowed in the oppression. I want freedom. God, may we be followers of you who do not look at our lives and say, all right, God, I've had faith and I've had obedience and I've done the actions, but we would be people who every day pray, God, may I be more faithful. May I be more obedient. May I step out with more action. May we not have time limits. May we, may we never have receipts of what we've paid for, but God, may we be like Jael, moment confronted with the reality in which she lived, she stepped out in faith and was not okay anymore with the previous. I'm not okay with the bondage. I'm not okay with the slavery. I'm not okay with not living free. God, may your church live free today.
just worship you and just be free. We fix our eyes.